How's it going, Nashville? This is the Nashville Fitness Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Chris Beavers, where we will unpack all things health and wellness. We will clear up common myths, highlight amazing fitness opportunities, and bring you guys the best information about health here in the great city of Nashville. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nashville Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm hanging out with uh, Dr. Rodney Snow. Uh, he is a board-certified uh, physician in both internal medicine as well as endocrinology. Uh, he's got quite the extensive background in, in treating metabolic diseases, and, and uh, it really takes kind of a different approach than, than what I see from a lot of folks. And uh, we're lucky to, to get to have a conversation today about uh, health, uh, metabolic diseases, and uh, I think there's no better time than, than now to talk about our health and how important that truly is uh, based on the current climate with, with COVID and all the weird things going on. So Dr. Snow, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Hey, my pleasure. It's great to be here. So tell me a little bit about your, your background and, uh, and you know, how you got interested in medicine and, and really how you ended up here in Nashville uh, you know, treating and doing the things you're doing now. Uh, yeah, I grew up in, in Knoxville, Tennessee, so I'm an East Tennessee guy. Uh, only child, uh, so I had a pretty small nucleus family. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I grew up around uh, family members and extended family members who uh, had chronic illness. A lot of it self-inflicted. And, uh, you know, even at a, at a young age, and this, it's funny, you know, people ask me, what do you got in, why did you get into medicine? And, you know, I've had a long time to think about it. Um, for the longest time, it just felt natural. But when I look back over time, it really was just really due to my, my environment, my circumstances around me, being afraid for the health and wellness uh, of my loved ones. Because again, cause I had a pretty small world. Um, I was afraid of that world shrinking, to be honest with you, even as a young child. And so that I didn't know that was health and wellness back then. I just thought I didn't want my world to shrink. I don't want these people that I love to die. So I think I'll just start going to the doctor's visits with them just to be supportive and ask some questions and maybe learn stuff. And so my interest in human health and physiology really started in doctor's offices on the patient side, sitting next to, you know, grandparents and even closer family members. Um, and then that translated into, you know, high school and college and intense interest in, in human physiology and biology. And it just made sense. And it just, it just grew from there. So I guess I could say at a young age, I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't know what shape that would take in the end. I just went along for the ride and let my interest pull me. Uh, but all along the ride, I had an interest in just general health. Um, it was a series of events that led me to endocrinology. Um, that ended up being the best fit for me, you know, because human physiology is just endlessly fascinating to learn yes. how we are designed and how we work normally. And then when the body goes awry, what's happening and how do we get that back? Uh, it's a real challenge. It's a humbling challenge. Um, so it's endlessly interesting. Um, and that's, that's really what led me to endocrinology and, and type two diabetes is a huge part of endocrinology. Uh, even though if you really drill down into it, you don't, it doesn't have to be part of endocrinology. It doesn't have to exist hardly at all. Um, it's really just a byproduct of, you know, the last four or five decades of, of our civilized popula- population and evolution. 
um, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go see an endocrinologist. You know, little little sure. industry secret. I'll just look at <laughs> one out at the beginning. You don't need an endocrinologist if you have type two diabetes. You know, you need a, a dietitian. You need a physical therapist if you have limitations. Um, you need physical trainer if you're not sure how to get out there and use your body. Um, because if you, if you feed the body what it, what it wants and if you use the body as it was designed, almost always you'll find yourself backing out of that type 2 diabetes diagnosis. But, you know, it could be a scary road for patients who don't have a good background in any of that. And so a lot of patients who wind up in my office, you know, they're going to hear it. They'll hear that truth in the beginning. Mm. But the fact is, you know, I spent, you know, prime years of my life learning how to use medications and, you know, medical treatment, surgeries to fix a lot of problems. And so I can use these tools. I certainly can. But it's always been more fun for me to do the reverse and peel the medicines off from conditions yeah. that don't necessarily have to have them, you know. Um, I, I tell a lot of my patients, you know, when we talk about type 2 diabetes and underlying pathophysiology of it, and I teach them what's gone awry. And then I say, okay, you know, what if you were sent to me and I was a, an oncologist, a cancer doctor? And I, and I just said, well, I, for 45 minutes, I tell you about the cancer and how it's ravaging your body and what, you know, what's going to happen to your eyes and your kidneys and your feet and, you know, the risks for all that and the expensive medicines that we can use to kind of try to keep this cancer controlled and the effort you're going to have to take to manage it and come see me and the cost of all that. And we kind of lay it all out there for you. But at the very end of the visit, I happen to say, Oh, by the way, if you just happen to change how you're eating and drinking and moving, the cancer could just go away. I think you'd be pretty mad at me if I didn't just come out with that in the beginning. Absolutely. So try to give them a little perspective as in, you know, you, the type, the true physiology of type two diabetes is largely reversible and in your control so that that i was kind of jumping ahead a little bit but that was, yeah that's totally cool that that's really as far as my approach to type 2 diabetes my patients are going to hear that in the front end and if they honestly look at me and say hey listen here doc i'm not interested <laughs> in all that <laughs> just <laughs> i don't want to change anything just I want medicines to treat this. And I think, you know what, you're a human being. I respect that. You know, I will choose medicines that have the, the best opportunity to help you sort of positive side effects like weight loss and decreased heart attack and stroke risk. And, you know, I'll try to manage that with that in mind. Um, but for patients who say, well, tell me more, I mean, well, gosh, what can I do? <laughs> then I act more as a, as a, sort of a coach or a conduit really towards these other professionals. My nutritionist team, my dietitian team in town, National Nutrition Partners. Uh, of course, I'm a huge CrossFit fan. I try to yep. tell them about functional fitness and not to be afraid of it. I try to tell them that CrossFit is wasted on the fit. I love it's it. designed for everyone. You don't have to be healthy and fit to come do it. That's the elite athlete you see on ESPN. That's not, yeah, those guys are nuts. <laughs> not really what CrossFit's all about. Um, and then physical therapists, because along the way, we're all going to get some aches. 
and uncover some things and the physical therapists are the ones that keep us on that path. And so, yeah. And then if you need me to be there to peel off your medicines and that's a lot of fun, I'm happy to be along for that ride always. So yeah, that's really, I don't necessarily say you've got two choices, you know, nothing or full speed down the path to health and wellness, but I let them know there's, there's definitely two mindsets to get into. And some people start down one of like, I don't want to hear it. And then after a while they'll ask mm. more and they're open and you know, everyone can change their mind. Yeah. So, I think that's cool though, that you give, you, you give that option, right? Like I, I think it's easy for healthcare providers and, and I've, I've even felt like I myself has been in this boat before. It's like, Hey, I'm standing up here in authority and I'm just giving you these, these ideas. And this is, this is the way to go and, and kind of the only way to go. Um, and so I love that you're saying, Hey, here's two options for you. Here is, let me just educate you. Let's start with education, right? Here's, here's what's going on with this. And here's why this is the way it is or why you're feeling the way you're feeling and then giving somebody two options. Like I think that's, it's empowering a patient as opposed to just tossing something at them. Well, I have to give credit for that to my mother. Um, you know, she passed away this past, this recent February and, um, she, despite her son being in, you know, going through med school and becoming a physician and big into health and wellness and fitness, um, she wasn't really receptive to any of that. She just wanted to be my mom and live her life and have everyone else around her just accept that. And as much as I, I just beat my head against the wall for years, trying to get her to grab onto that just wasn't part of who she was you know, and uh, she just did things her way. And I, I learned to just love and accept her, even though every day I prayed that she would change her mind. And, and sure. you know, of course, I had pipe dreams of my mother doing, you know, CrossFit next to me, <laughs> scaled appropriately. Um, it never happened. And so it, it just helps me see my patients like I would my mother and say, listen, yeah. I can love you regardless. I can take care of you regardless. I just want you to know you know, there are the options. So I can't say that that was just me being so open-minded. I beat my head against <laughs> the wall just like everybody else who feels <laughs> strongly about a wonderful path for people to go on, but you can't, you just can't force people down that path. It has to yeah. be something that they're led to either by, you know, a higher power or a, a life scare event sure. or turning 40, which, <laughs> you know, that's, that helped me actually steer the wheel back because I was heading off course. And so, you know, I just, it, I, I'll, I, honestly, I love it when a patient's like, yes, tell me more. God, let's do that. Let, let's let me try all those things because then I just see someone with outrageously high blood sugars and high blood pressures and their PCP of course is worried. You know, they said right. to me and those people who were just wide open, ready to hear it, ready to do it in three months are off all of their medicines. And it's really fun just to send them back to the primary care doctor and say, you know, thanks for sending them. That was super fun. <laughs> send me more, you know, <laughs> that's the, and that's a fun road. That's a fun road when you start. Uh, yeah. I think that's why we become medical providers at the end of the day is, is to start watching those transformations happen where 
hey, you're peeling medications off people or, hey, they're dropping weight or they're, they're, they're dropping blood sugars. What are some of the ways that you, you kind of go about accomplishing some of these roles? I mean, obviously, you know, the, the traditional line, the traditional way is say, you know, hey, again, here's some medications. Uh, come, we're going to keep your numbers in check by using that. Like, why have you kind of adopted this different approach and, and really uh, using that to make it happen? Well, first off, in, in fellowship training, I did my fellowship at UVA over in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia. And so I would see the realities of this before I even could preach it to people and, and believe it myself. I, I mean, in the case in point, you have a patient who comes into the hospital for anything. I don't know if it's pneumonia um, or, you know, horrible gastroenteritis or, or some kind of condition. They have to be admitted for a few nights, maybe three or four nights that they're there. And in the outpatient world, they're type 2 diabetic with, they're on, you know, maybe 180 units total a day of insulin, wow. uh, which is a lot of money every day. Yet their blood sugars are still not controlled on all this insulin plus oral medications for diabetes and they come into the hospital and granted you're not feeling so great so you may not eat dinner the first night and you're you know get the condition under control you're feeling better than the patients are just given you know hospital food it's not you know downtown nashville cuisine <laughs> but for the most part it's palatable but what you would see and i would see this within 48 hours is patients' requirements for insulin would come down by more than a half. It's crazy. And then you'd, then you'd cut it in half again because their blood sugars were just crashing. And what's happened is you've taken them out of the environment, their home environment, which in the free eating, free feeding kind of space, you know, human beings were snackers and liquid calories, liquid sugar. And the body has trouble handling and disposing of that mm. glucose. So it loiters in the bloodstream and that's where it's toxic to the body in high levels causing vasoconstriction. And they come into the hospital, they're not snacking and they're not drinking the, you know, fruit juices and sodas. And so all of a sudden their system is un unburdened, just immediately unburdened. Well, that, that's, that's responsible for half of the drop in the blood sugars. But then within that first 48 hours, you can start to see uh, insulin resistance and decreased insulin sensitivity is what really type 2 diabetes is, just as un it's scalable from mild, immediate to severe. Um, and within 48 hours, you can see their insulin resistance falling dramatically. And you know this because in a lot of cases, a lot, of, a lot of cases, patients would come in on 180 units total a day of long-acting and short-acting insulin, and three or four days later, they're being discharged on 10 units of long-acting, wow. maybe three to four units of short-acting with meals, kind of just starting over. And I wow. lobby they don't need any, but then they go back to their environment, PCP or endocrinologist, and you see the blood sugars climbing again. So I saw that over and over and over in fellowship, and started, of course, pointing that out to other people and trying to point that out to them at discharge saying, hey, listen, big things have happened. If you can kind of keep this nutritional pattern going where it's really just isolated meals with no snacking in between, that's a huge first step. And so when I got into practice, um, you're seeing a lot more people. You're seeing a lot more people daily than you are in 
fellowship, uh, it was a little daunting to try to spread that message to everyone every mm. in every encounter because you've got 10, 15 minutes to handle a lot of different issues. But then a discussion on nutrition and physiology of insulin resistance, you know, that's, you know, <laughs> that's a lot of years. Yeah. You know, plus another six years in residency and fellowship. And so it, it's a lot of stuff to cram in with these small visits. And so, you know, I, I also look for people in the, in the community to help me explain this and then show this to them. Um, but really what I learned in fellowship that this was possible and was possible very quickly. Um, we even started an insulin resistance clinic in fellowship with uh, one of my mentors, uh, my main mentor, Dr. Michael Thorner. And we were looking at insulin resistance specifically measuring fasting insulin levels in these patients in the outpatient world. And we were recommending at the time a plant-based diet, mm. not necessarily because it was the best, but because it showed consistent dramatic improvement. And what was nice about plant-based is we could say, listen, eat as much as you want. Mm. Just, just be plant-based, go for it. And so it wasn't restrictive. Um, and we saw these tremendous drops in fasting insulin levels in patients and coming off of their, their medicine. So what I saw in the inpatient world, we translated to outpatient clinic. But when, like I say, when you get into real world medicine, it's hard. It's hard to have enough time to give that perspective to everyone. And then furthermore, not everybody wants to do plant-based diet. So there sure. is no one diet that fits everyone. And, and, and we can circle back around to this a little bit later, but there's just inherent problems in the word diet anyway. Right, right. And what people are seeking. And so, um, yeah, that's really the genesis of, of really why I have that message. message yeah. Because I know it's true. And I see it over and over and over again, you know, every week. Yeah. That's, it, it, how come you think, you know, obviously you've seen it happen. I know other uh, providers have seen this happen as well. Why does the status quo become, hey, you know, here's metformin, here's insulin, like here, just just roll with it. Do you think it's patient, you know, receptiveness to change? Or do you think it's more, hey, like you say, it's just a busy outpatient world and, and inevitably we slip into comfortable patterns uh, with some of that? I don't know, there may not be an easy answer to it. <laughs> no, I mean, just like everything in life, the answer is nuanced and complex. But I think that if you just want to black and white it, you could say it's easy. But deeper to that, you have to look, you know, my colleagues in primary care, we can't do anything without them. Those yeah. are the real heroes in medicine because these men and women are volunteering to be the primary, and I use the term quarterback, but they're basically sure. the, the shepherd of all these patients, you know, throughout their life. And they don't go into this with bad intentions or even for greed. It's, it's one of the lower paying, least rewarded fields in all of medicine, yet I would argue it's the most important. So everyone on the front lines in internal medicine and family medicines are doing it for the right reasons. But like I alluded to earlier, the realities of private practice with so many people needing to be seen for X, Y, Z, it does become so daunting to put people on the right path. And furthermore, we don't have a, a universal uh, party line as far as internal medicine or family medicine, as far as what is the right nutritional advice. Unfortunately, it's hard to give that 
as a government funded institution like the American Diabetes Association because they get their money from a lot of funding from government. And, you know, government has certain restrictions on what they can and cannot say. And so typically the advice that comes out of our larger institutions are vague, um, overly wordy. They're specific when they tell you to eat more of things, fruits and vegetables, that makes sense. But then when you get into eat less of, they have to use very carefully worded macronutrients. They can't say eat less this food because that in ah. could take a you know offense to that and actually sue you for saying that. And that just <laughs> and over time you've seen that happen. So mm. nutritional advice is a it's a really crazy sad story of how we've gotten to the nutritional advice that's out there for public consumption and for doctors to relate to patients. Because when you say eat less, it's going to be salt, um, simple carbohydrates, <laughs> um, saturated fats. And patients are left saying, what the hell does that mean when I walk around <laughs> the grocery store? What does that look like? Can you just give me, tell me what to eat? And then doctors do their best and practice because they think, okay, you've got high blood pressure. I would tell you to avoid canned soups and, you know, salted cured deli meats and you know, fast food sandwiches, these are just really high in salt, which, you know, can help you lower your blood pressure if you're avoiding such things. And cardiologists would, you know, they're focusing on cholesterol and also blood pressure. And so they focus on foods that are naturally high in cholesterol. And it gets very um, pigeonholed, I guess, for each specialty would have a different kind of flavor of advice because there is no unifying body saying, hey, listen, here's the simple advice you can give everyone, which will help everyone, which is basically eat food as it grows out of the planet, right. unadulterated, unprocessed. Um, fruit is meant to be eaten on the fruit. Don't squeeze the juice out. That's just sugar water. <laughs> you know, Processed foods, are that's not real food. It's food-like substances. None of it is healthy for you, period. I don't care how many vitamins they pump into it. That's not what we were meant to eat. There's very ways to give practical advice, but almost no one's going to do it on a large scale because you're going to be, you know, overwhelmed with, you know, attacks. I mean, look at Oprah. She said she wasn't going to eat a hamburger ever again, and she was sued by the national beef industry. And Oprah's got Oprah money. She can say, bring it on and, you know, and she won, but not everybody has that kind of resources. And so politically, no one's going to stick their neck out. Institutionally, no one's going to stick their neck out there. So patients are left with bewildering nutritional advice. Doctors are left trying to give some useful advice based on the conditions that you have. But in this, this is a, a, I guess a myth here that doctors have a lot of training in nutrition. We don't. Yeah. We get maybe two weeks of it in med school. Maybe that's changed, but I haven't heard any anything otherwise. Dietitians are it's a four-year degree with thousands and thousands of hours of practical in-field work, similar to a doctor going into a residency. There's no way physicians have that level of, of nutritional science and dietetics. Yeah expertise. And so physicians falsely assume that we can give great nutritional advice, but in reality, we give stuff that may serve a single purpose 
but we're just not that well-versed. And we're all physicians. We're all seekers of what's going to work and what's going to help. And um, we see all the patients, what they're doing and this diet and that diet. And, you know, if you really study what happens to people, you see most things that people try give temporary results. Not, yeah. Very few of it is long lasting. Um, which it's tough to keep up with, with, with all of the, the, the stuff that's out there. Like even, you know, even me being a, a, an educated person, right? Like it's tough even for me to, to take in the, the breadth of knowledge that, that goes on with, with diets and nutrition and all that as a whole. And like you say, I mean, the, the dietitians are, are experts and that's, that's, they're kind of wheelhouse. What, um, you know, diet, we know diet is kind of the foundation of managing our, our metabolic systems. What's, what's some big myths out there as it relates to diet uh, that you've heard uh, that you see maybe not necessarily as helpful in practice as, as one might think? Yeah, well, this is a, a really important topic and a really important conversation. And so just like any topic, I'd like to give maybe a different perspective on it before we venture into it. But we say the I word diet. We say the word diet all the time, but you know, the Latin root for diet uh, essentially means lifestyle, life choices, life patterns. But diet in, in modern usage is a temporary means of getting from A to B. Like right. I need to drop 25 pounds. So I'm going to try this diet. Let's go on the grapefruit diet or South Beach diet or zone diet and paleo and keto and um you know as long as i've been alive i've been aware of these diets and some people call them fad diets and some are granted way out there but there's a common denominator with all of these diets and that is ultimately they are temporary um if you if you get a patient who's because i get asked all the time what about keto you know, what about paleo? And I say, listen, if this is the way that you can change your eating, your shopping and your cooking and your eating habits forever, and everyone in your, in your house is going to buy into it, your extended family is going to buy into it. You know, if you have, you know, household support and family support of, of this and you have the means to afford it, go for it. I want you to choose an eating pattern that you can stick with one you know to be inherently healthier than, than what you're doing, fine. But I warned them about um, the perils of dieting. So you asked about myths. So, so first off, it's just the word diet is a myth because right. it's supposed to mean long-term permanent changes, but in reality, it's just short-term that people try. And if they don't get the change that they want, they'll stop it. If they do get the change that they want, I say, okay, what then? What are you going to do? Well, you know, I, I went on vacation and I kind of <laughs> got off my diet and then I thought, well, what the hell? And so I came <laughs> home and just, you know, I've gained all the way back plus some stock. Now I'm heavier and I'll speak to that. But um, a big myth out there is, um, and this is really troublesome, is just, just cut your calories, right? Calories in, calories out. You eat less, you're going to lose weight. But people discount human physiology in this. Um, and there's a really interesting story that's going on, but it helps explain why people will lose weight than plateau. 
then if they get off the diet, they'll gain the weight back plus some. And it's a dangerous, vicious cycle that I see people getting into. But so I'll like, I'll, this is a conversation I'll have with a patient. So someone who comes in like, oh, I, I'm starving myself and I'm running four miles a day. And, you know, it was great in the beginning and I lost 18 pounds, but then I stopped losing weight and I just can't lose anymore. Mm. And no matter what I try and I say, okay, let's put yourself in, in, in your brain's shoes here. Okay. You're in the dark, you're in the skull. All you know is blood flow, blood pressure, blood sugar, hormone levels, calories essentially coming up there and you're running the show in the dark. So the brain knows how many calories we need to run the show, run all of our organs and basic activity. If we just kind of had minimal activity. So you're, you're resting metabolic rate. Okay. How many calories you need to stay where you are to run the show. So if you are feeding yourself less than what you need, you will consume more, right? And then your body will not have enough energy for the day and it can immobilize some fat that you're carrying around in the storage form and use that for energy, right? Even before it does that, it's going to burn up your sugar stores um, for energy and then it'll look to fat stores for energy. And that's all well and good. That's what everyone's after. The problem is, is if you run a big enough deficit, like say you need 2,200 calories to run your show, you're six foot two, um, and you're, you need 22 to stay even, and you're eating 1,300 calories a day. Well, that's a big deficit. Huge. And you will start to lose weight. But I try to have a patient understand. So metabolically, the brain's thinking, all right, we're, we're, we're losing weight drastically. This, is, this isn't a good, this is not a good trajectory. We're starving. And so what you'll see in metabolic studies is that the resting metabolic rate is no longer at 2200. Your brain's going to lower that to try to meet what you're eating. So what the, the amount of calories you're burning daily comes down. To try to meet that because if you have that big of a deficit right it sends off a lot of warning signals in the brain and the body that you know starvation and death is coming and so as a survival mechanism you'll see patients metabolic rate decline drastically and for evidence of this look at the studies they did on the bit that showed the biggest loser um the, talk about rapid yeah those guys drop really big time very weight loss and huge deficits and they had to drive those people out harder and harder and harder to continue. But the sad story is when they leave the show, or even if you win it and you leave the ranch, it was very hard to keep that weight off. And the reason is, as your body drops that metabolic rate to match what you're feeding it, um, if there's a big enough gap, it wants to drop it, right? Stop, the, stop this huge gap. So that's why people plateau. And they get frustrated. So what do they do? They eat even less. Mm. They spend even more energy. So they try to widen that gap again to be drastic. And they get frustrated because they may lose a little bit more, but not much. And that's the body's way of fighting to stay alive. And, and this is stuff that patients definitely don't want to hear. But I say, maybe you've got it all wrong. Maybe you're not fueling yourself properly for what you're trying to do and you shut your metabolic rate down. Whereas if you start to eat enough of the right foods 
and push close that gap, you'll see your resting metabolic rate go back up. Mm. Basically, losing weight permanently is about doing it slowly with a small enough deficit daily that you're not setting off all these harmful triggers, not harmful, but these life-saving triggers um, and counterbalance method, methods. So your brain's not on an alarm if the gap is small the weight loss will happen slowly over time. Well, you know, I understand that Americans, we don't want anything slowly. We want, it <laughs> we want it now, we want results. But if you're going to avoid the pitfalls of plateauing, you've got to fuel yourself properly and just aim for just under what you need and the weight loss will happen because you'll keep your metabolic rate high, maybe even higher if you're fueling yourself properly. But these big crash diets with big gaps and nutrition um, gaps in the fuel caloric deficits they're destined for failure um, that's tough another really sad part of this story is when you lose weight rapidly you're going to lose fat and muscle sure. you just can't help it because you're so under fueled you're not only going to burn through glucose you're going to burn through fat but you're also going to mobilize some amino acids from your protein you're going to break down protein so you're going to lose fat and muscle so where's our main bet main uh, metabolic burn or main metabolic furnace is really the muscles right so these crash diets you lose fat and muscle you plateau you say screw it uh, can't do this anymore and you start to regain the weight and you regain fat you don't regain the muscle so every time you do this you're giving away some of your muscle your metabolic furnace and then you're just regaining only fat so your metabolic whole furnace is shrinking every time you do this um, unless you fight to regain it with weight training and proper fueling. And so the really sad story is someone who's been cyclically dieting, dieting their whole life and you look at their body fat composition and it's a tremendous amount of body fat and they've lost a ton of muscle mass and the resting metabolic rate is quite low. Um, yeah, that's crazy. So How does somebody able to see that? And like, if you're going to fuel your body properly and move with your body, don't create such a deficit. It's, it's hard for a lot of people to hear. And that's where, again, I turned to my team of nutritionists over at Nashville Nutrition Partners um, to help them understand the concept of it and shop and cook to plan for it and fuel themselves properly which they'll feel more energy, they'll feel more energetic, they'll have better workouts, and then they have a chance to actually build muscle mass and build that metabolic furnace. But you see what a long conversation that is, especially if people are mired in this myth that all I have to do is restrict calories and I'll lose weight. It's a temporary plan that's just set up for failure and long-term damage you know, to the whole metabolic capability of the body. So how does someone go about finding uh, their, you know, if this is how many um, calories I need for, for my body to maintain? What's the best way to go about that? That's a great question. So um, I know sure there's several ways to do it. Nashville to do it. You can get what's called a true resting metabolic rate. And it's a device where you, you show up and I'm sure you can Google it in town. I did mine at a place called DexaFit. I was down in New Orleans at a conference, but you show up fasting, well hydrated, and you sit in a chair for 10 minutes just resting. 
and then they put a, a really tight nose clamp on your nose and a mouthpiece in your mouth and you're mm -hmm. just breathing in and out of a tube and this machine is measuring your oxygen consumption and your carbon dioxide production mm -hmm. and it's able to extrapolate based on that and your height and weight what your actual resting metabolic rate is and then you can look at a chart based on your age and height and weight and see what your predicted is and you can see what your actual is and oh, that cool. was actually eye-opening for me because my resting metabolic rate was lower than where it should be and you know the guy that did my analysis down there said well you're a typical crossfitter you're not eating enough probably not enough carbs to support and fuel your workout huh. and I thought, man oh I'm kind of embarrassed to hear that but that's <laughs> what you're telling. so I, and that's when I, I knew National Nutrition Partners in town. They're, they're excellent for my patients. And I, I called Jen Fleischer, the owner, and I said, I, I need to come see, you know, one of your dietitians. And so I, I started seeing Molly and did nutritional journals and gained a lot of insight on that. And then we, we together formulated a plan for my shopping and cooking, which for me was just large batches I'd make it on the weekend, put it in Ziploc bags, ready to go for the week. I had better fuel during the day. I felt tremendously better in my work. Wow. Um, and for the first time, I really noticed my body fat percentage going down. Never a huge goal of mine to like get ripped and, you know, have no body fat. It wasn't. I just wanted to, you know, I want to, I'm 45 and I want to, do better every time I'm there and CrossFit. You know? <laughs> right. So that's my goal is to kick butt during the workouts. Um, and it's just about fueling yourself properly. And I was eating a lot more carbs than I was allowing myself to previously, but it was mixed Jasmine rice and Brown rice with like sweet potatoes and lentils and Brussels sprouts. Eating that about one o'clock in the day at lunch at work made a huge difference. I'm still doing so that's where kind of understanding your nutritional world in relation to your body um, and its function and yourself as an athlete, because everyone's an athlete. If you're out there walking or, you know, running or working out by yourself, you're an athlete, you need to be fueled properly and you can work out hard and never see progress unless you understand how to actually fuel yourself properly. And then, there, there's some more tenants to basic improvement, but sleep's a big part of that as well. Yeah, I think uh, you hit the you're hitting the nail on the head. It's like I've had so many conversations uh, on this podcast with numerous people from, uh, you know, workout programming to all, you know just all sorts of folks, and it, it always comes back to hey, get something that's tailored and, and fits for your lifestyle. You know, especially as it relates to, to diet and nutrition stuff as well. It's like hey, find what is best and most optimal for your body as opposed to just plugging and chugging some information from online somewhere and then trying to make these rash moves. Because I don't think people understand how bad they, they truly uh, feel until they start thinking about it and, or, or if they start feeling themselves properly and they're like, man, I felt really bad and I didn't even know I felt so bad. Uh, yeah. It's just funny, funny to see, uh, and, and you even said that yourself. It's like, man, I didn't know that I was so underfueled carb-wise, and then I started putting enough carbs in my body, and now suddenly my workout, I feel really good. My body was changing in ways that it wasn't before. I was sleeping better, working out better. It was fantastic. And one of the more powerful tools that I found in medicine 
Um, but it, as far as health and wellness is a journal. Mm. Honestly, if you can, you know, whether it's download my fitness pal, um, and journal all of your food intake for the day. So you can actually see what you're eating in relation to what you should be eating. It's very telling. Gosh, I didn't realize I was eating that few carbs or that many carbs. And then you take that information to folks over at national nutrition partners and say, listen, this is what I'm doing. This is what my goals are. It's a firm, it's a better foundation to start from because it gives you so much insight. And then above that, you can, in addition to your food journal, you can write how you're feeling that day. What's your energy level? It's so insightful. It, you know, it's a pain. You got to journal. But as far as personal growth, that may be one of the more powerful tools in health and wellness uh, and just being a human being. Honestly. Yeah, inform, information is is powerful uh, for folks. I mean, I've done that for myself before as well. It's like, oh, yeah, like I'm getting plenty of, of carbs. And then you start looking at it, you're like, holy crap, like I was way underdosing that. Or I have conversations with, with patients all the time about, well, how much sleep are you getting? Or, or what's your, uh, you know, what's your overall training volume like? And I'm like, oh, I'm not, you know, I sleep fine. And then you start having these conversations like, oh, man, I only slept, you know, five hours and I'm under, uh, I'm, under on carbs and I'm stressed out as can be at work. And it's like, well, no wonder you got these injuries and you feel like crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a human being, you know, and human beings, we need air. We need water. <laughs> we need food, but you know, air and water is pretty obvious there, but food, right. that's very nuanced. So you need fuel um, and we need sleep. And I always tell my patients, it's not just any sleep. It's got to be quality sleep. It's not just any food. It's got to be quality food. Water and air, fortunately, is fairly quality. You know, right. nowadays there are obviously nuances to that. But you know, sometimes people have horrible sleep apnea. They don't know it. They snore all night, so they're under oxygenated while they sleep, mm. and their sleep is trash because they're gasping for air and hypoxic while they sleep. So that's two of the four fundamental things for a human being when they sleep. And so I uncover a lot of undiagnosed sleep apnea in my practice because patients will come to me for X, Y, Z. None of it really fits. And I ask about mm. wake up tired. You ever wake up in the middle of the night gasping for air? Does your husband or wife say you snore? I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm tired all day. <laughs> and I snore at night. And you know, I send them over to our pulmonology sleep, uh, sleep medicine docs. And invariably they have some degree of sleep apnea that those folks were never going to feel better until they got mm. that treated. So the fundamentals of being a human being are the most important, period. And then once you've got all that licked, okay, what else do you want to work on? Where do we, you know, add medicines to it? Yeah, right, if need be. What, uh, you know, to, to summate some of this, what's, what's an easy step for someone to take? Or what's, what's an easy way for somebody to kind of start taking uh, advantage of their health and wellness? Because I think, again, there's so much information out there. People just get information overload and they're like, where, where do I begin? Where, where do I go from here? What's one easy step that you, you kind of either prescribe or, or recommend for a lot of folks? Yeah. And there may not be. <laughs> Well, no, that's a, that's a very challenging question. Like if you had to pick one thing, where would you start? You know, the answer has always got to be nutrition. Yeah. You just, you know, I ask that of my trainers all the time. Like, hey, what's more important, sleep or training? And they'll say nutrition. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it just, it just makes sense, right? Because 
fundamentally, if you're going to spend money and time and effort on, on you, then taking an honest look at what you're eating and drinking and seeking some professional advice there, that, that's what I tell my folks. That's your best avenue, best, best use of your time and money is going to be nutrition first. Get that looked at. Um, and, you know, there's different types of professionals out there. Um, anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. There's no yeah. degree. Uh, dietitian is the, are the folks that have the degrees, mm-hmm. and they're quite advanced degrees. And you want someone who is independent, open-minded, and wants to give a healthy relationship with food not just pigeonhole you into something that gets you slim and fit. You don't want to have an unhealthy relationship with food. You want to enjoy food. Um, That would be the first step. After that, it's definitely going to be um, rewarding movement. You know, Mm -hmm. I used to just call it, just get out there and exercise, come to CrossFit with me. But, you know, some actually friends of mine over at National Nutrition Partners, they, they say, you know, we try to say, movement that's going to make you happy and you're going to want to come back and do it right because just going to the gym and doing this routine that you hate that's also destined for failure so um you know one of the things i love about crossfit is it's just infinitely interesting and challenging and fun there's camaraderie of it in addition to the coaching which is excellent so that's fun for me and i openly wear that you know on my sleeve and, and tell people about it i'm not that guy at parties that you know, just talks about CrossFit. But if you ask me about it, I'm going to give you an honest, you know, uh, endorsement. Right. I love it. No, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, right? Like, feel your body appropriately and, and then start taking some of these other steps. We know movement is medicine, right? Like, it's, it's going to clean up the metabolic system. It's going to clean up you know, the musculoskeletal system as well. I mean, I can't tell you how many people uh, who, who don't move and, and then you start moving. It's like, Oh, Hey, that back pain went away or Oh, Hey, that knee pain. Like, I mean, arthritis, for example, people think that's a death sentence in many cases. And it's like, or, you know, a death sentence in that, Hey, I'm going to be in pain forever. And it's like, no, just move that a little bit more. And I guarantee it'll feel better. I have rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis patients that do CrossFit. That's and awesome. If they stop doing CrossFit, they have pain, but while they're continuing to do it, they feel loose and strong and their pain is minimal and then don't forget the psychological benefits uh, of exercise and eating well um that's very there's very good research in that now that we are looking at the micro neurobiology of the brain um and the the chemical messaging that's happening during and after exercise it's quite profound you know so uh, one of my favorite quotes is uh matt fraser you know uh crossfit champion and they he says uh people ask me if i'm addicted to suffering and he said no i'm not addicted to suffering i'm addicted to what comes after uh, suffering and that's very telling right it's you know when during the workouts it's hard it's challenging you're questioning your choices in life you're trying to breathe and you just m- make yourself get through it and at the end you know you're laying on the ground and you're tired and about 10 minutes after that is just this awash of just you feel great head to toe and it lasts for hours and it's such a powerful drug that if you can't do it for a week <laughs> it's upsetting yeah and it withdrawal manner you look at anyone who's who's into fitness and functional movement man if you can't have that 
it, it's equivalent to someone just saying, hey, I'm not going to refill your antidepressant anymore. <laughs> right, seriously. It's very true. I, I feel that right now, too. I, I took a week off uh, with, the, with the birth of my son, and it's like, oh, man, I got to get back in the gym. I was itching to get back, even being sleep deprived. I was still itching to, to get back into the gym. And so how, how long have you been doing CrossFit now? Uh, five years. Officially five years, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. I uh, started when I was 40. Love uh, it. I guess I was about four or five years in to practice here in Nashville. And I had low back pain, knee pain when I tried to, tried to run. I had iliotibial band syndrome. Oh, yikes. Uh, I was tired. And uh, a really good friend of mine who I trust, longtime friend from childhood, uh, we have these guy retreats every year or two. And he was telling me that he's doing CrossFit in Knoxville, and it was the best thing he'd ever hmm. done for himself. And he doesn't really talk in grandiose terms like that. So it really struck me. And so it stuck with me. And uh, they opened a CrossFit box right on my drive home, right oh, on perfect. Charlotte. And CrossFit Nashville, written on the side of it about letters about six feet high. It was, a, it was a definite sign from God saying, hey, I can only give you so many signs. Here's a huge one right on your way home. So I emailed uh, Dustin and Preston, uh, the owners, and set up an intro class. And I just, I, I, from the beginning, I, I just loved what they were saying. Uh, Preston was telling me in the beginning, you know, an intro class, like what CrossFit is, um, you know, it's, it was just all common sense, right? He said, it's just, just using the body as it was designed. So it's functional movements. No, no movement in CrossFit is like an isolated bicep. Right. You know, <laughs> ready for spring break. Uh, it's not about that. It's all about using your body the way it was designed. So it's highly functional. So it'll translate into your real world life. Right. Um, it's high intensity. So it's going to be uncomfortable. Um, but it's constantly varied. Um, and when he said those three things, those fundamental tenets of, of CrossFit, it, it really struck a chord with me because I'd seen patients for years who did the same exercise. And again, they would plateau also, and they would voice frustration to me. You think about the body, it's designed to adapt to stress. The body thinks, all right, this is a new thing, or right, walking uphill now, we must live on a mountain to have to go forage for food. I'll make these leg muscles stronger and the butt muscles stronger, but that's about it because that's all we do. So right. you'll adapt after a few weeks and then you won't adapt anymore. So people are like, well, I started jogging and I felt great, but then I didn't have any more changes. If you think about it, well, the body adapted. That's all it needed right. to do. So you've got to constantly change what you're doing. So when you hear someone say, well, my exercise routine is, I usually just stop them. Well, I, I'm, not, I'm not impolite. I'll let them finish. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, there's a problem. It's a routine. So you've got to, if you're working out on your own, you've got to change things up every three to four weeks. Uh, but I love the fact that CrossFit just programs that for me. I just show up. Right, right. And so it was, uh, it was fantastic. I have to say it was humbling. and hard and it made me want to go back for more it made me want to want to stretch um it's a great mix of fun things like gymnastics you know i mean yep. um 
high skilled gymnastic movements, weightlifting, um, and, and cardio. And it's, it's a blast. It is, it a, is blast. a blast. And, and everyone in the class is, you know, there are young kids who come in who are just, you know, they're amazing <laughs> at it and God bless them. But most people <laughs> in the class are, you know, 30 and older. I'm not the youngest guy there. And I mean, I'm not the oldest guy there. Um, so we're all in it together. Everyone's at different skill levels, but doing the same workout to the same level of intensity. And it's, it's amazing to see everyone's progress and then cheer everybody on. I really missed it during quarantine, but our, uh, our coaches gave out all of their equipment from both of their gyms to all the members to take home to use and posted daily workouts. And so they were fantastic um, during the shutdown. So yeah, it's been a fantastic, fantastic journey for me. Yeah, I love, I love that you, you said, hey, I started when I was 40. I think people have this mentality with CrossFit that, hey, it's dangerous. You know, people are doing squat snatches every single day of the week, and I'm doing muscle-ups every single day of the week, and it's, it's inherently dangerous. I mean, i got clients now. I've got a guy mid-60s who just started doing CrossFit. Like, his son and daughter do it, and they were pushing him to do it. This guy's on a weight loss journey. He's feeling better. He's moving better. Uh, you know, and I see I've had, I've had guys as old as I had a 73 year old guy in the clinic doing a uh, half Ironman still. And you, it's crazy. It's crazy when you see two ends of the spectrum, you know, you've got somebody who in their fifties is on, you know, all sorts of medications can hardly walk up their stairs and they feel like crap all the time. And then you got sixties and 70 year olds who are, you know, lifting barbells overhead and, and doing yeah. Metcons for time. You know, it's just crazy to see how powerful the body really can be. Yeah. And you know, you do it. CrossFit and workouts like that because you realize that you want to be able to get yourself off the toilet when you're 90. Right. I want to be able to stand up when I'm 90. I want to be able to walk, go upstairs if I have to. You, you have to invest now in securing your body and keeping it strong and agile and balanced so you have that foundation when you're 90. It's never too late to start. But I must say, starting earlier only improves your chance of success for later in life. And so fighting to keep your independence, you know, it starts now. And I think about that when I'm doing burpees because it's soul-sucking. <laughs> but, you know, I want to be able to get myself up off the ground when I'm in my 80s. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, I mean, that's a big issue. People falling, breaking a hip, and they can't get up. And I'm sorry, that's all they wrote, you know? And then over and above that, you know, the pursuit of fitness that's just been really interesting perspective there because um, everyone will have a different definition of fitness but sure. you know to me being fit means you're fit to handle anything yeah anything that's going to come in your door that day or any obstacle that's going to happen physically yeah you can pretty much handle it um now or decades from now and so the way you can still handle that is you've got to have all this variable exercise that you're putting yourself into comfortable positions safely. Now, when I say uncomfortable, all of this is scaled to be safe, um, but still effective. You know, and if you do get those aches and pains again, that's when I, you know, call Dr. Beavers and say, listen, I've, I've got this elbow pain or my shoulder pain. It's limiting me doing this. I need to get this fixed because I want to get back to my pursuit. And so, you know, you don't let these little bumps along the way happen or, or derail you. I had a, uh, labrum tear because I was doing some trying to get a muscle up and being kind of lazy about it and I wasn't paying attention and um, swinging too hard 
Um, and I just had weak shoulder capsule, you know, and I wasn't paying attention to my shoulder. And so my physical therapist, we had a, gosh, I think a 10 week plan that I finished in about five and a half weeks. Cause he was like, wow, you're pain free. You look great. You don't need to continue it. And that just, that was a fantastic little sidebar that I took to discover and I already knew the benefits of physical therapy, but that really solidified it when you go through it and you have this sharp pain, you're worried about being limited in life. Holy cow. Can I not yeah. go through these things that I want to do? Oh, it was real genuine fear. Absolutely. Then, you know, there was, thankfully there was no surgery in my future. There was no steroid injections. It was just training my shoulders to be stronger. And I have never felt that pain since and so i still do my shoulder exercises so, <laughs> that arm care is huge do physical therapy prophylactically yeah yeah i think most people don't really appreciate or really even know what we do right you know and i joke all the time in my practice i'd rather have an orthopedic injury than be bedridden when i'm when i'm 50 right and so a little ache and pain uh, when you're working out is, is much better than uh than uh, being miserable when you're uh, in your, your later years. But yeah, most people don't even know what we do. I mean, I think they think, oh, I had surgery and now I need to go see PT or hey, I'm old and need to go get my back looked at or wh whatever it might be. But it, yeah, it's, it's crazy what, uh, what the body can do. Uh, it's crazy, you know, without injections, without a bunch of crazy wild interventions. It's like, hey, some, some corrective work goes a long way. I agree. A lot of pain in one area is really just weakness in a different part of your body yeah. transferring some pressure oddly to your knee. And yeah. people don't realize that, Oh, I just weakened my pelvis. And then I did these exercises right to my pelvis. And now these muscles and ligaments are looser and my knee doesn't hurt. I didn't actually need injections in my knee. That's weird. It's really amazing. It is. The, the body is a wild, uh, a wild piece and uh, it can do some crazy things. So Dr. Snow, thanks so much for this conversation. Thanks so much for your time. If we wanted to be able to get into, uh, into contact with you, uh, what's the best way for us to, uh, to be able to get in contact with you? It's a great question. And my favorite answer to that question is you can find me at CrossFit Nashville. Love it. 4.30 PM classes. Um, call up Preston and Dustin, the owners and say, I want to, come by and hear about this. And then I want to start working out with Dr. Snow. Love it. I would love, my dream actually is to have a class full of my patients. That'd be great. We start there. I can still see you in clinic and we can work on medicines and getting you off of them. But man, I tell you, my, my greatest joy will be one day in life where I show up to my class and I've got seven or eight of my patients that I'm helping navigate off medicines, sweating right next to me. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so CrossFit Nashville is the best way. Um, and if 4.30 PM doesn't work for you, I will, I'll find another time where I can come out and work with you as well. Um, in addition to that, I'm at Heritage Medical Associates and I work in the downtown uh, office at 222 uh, 22nd Avenue North um, here Monday through Friday. Um, and I'm happy to see everybody, but again, uh, hopefully, you know, I can turn them on to CrossFit and uh, my other friends over at National Nutrition Partners uh, yep. who also made a huge improvement in my life. So, yeah. I love it. That's great. I love that you're walking the walk and uh, doing it to your, your own self. Hey, I'm going to exercise and eat well and uh, leading from the front. That's what we always say in our practice as well. We want to lead from the front. And so, uh, Dr. Snow, thanks again for your time. I can't wait to uh, release this podcast. All right. My pleasure. Take care, man. 
Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Nashville Fitness Podcast. Don't forget, educate yourself, surround yourself with positivity, and take care of your body. It's the only one you get. Education is the key to a stronger and healthier you, one person and one community at a time. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, we would love for you to give us a five-star rating and leave us comments. If you want to find out more about us and how to maximize your health and performance, check out our clinic on Instagram at Momentum underscore Sports PT or at MomentumSportsPT.com.